chapter 6, 556. We're going to look at verses 610 through 714. It can be found on page 556, 556 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Ecclesiastes 6, 610 through 714. And then I'll read the text. I'll read the text as we go. It's a longer passage. I'll read it uh, as we go. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray that you would take the words that I'm about to speak and that you would use them for your honor and your glory, and that you would apply them, rightly apply them to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been reminded this morning of the, of the persecuted church. We've been reminded of brothers and sisters across the world that are suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. But we also recognize that there are times of, of difficulty that isn't just what they experience, but it's something that we experience even today, even among us. That each of us face times of adversity because we live in a fallen world. We experience trials, and there are several among us who are struggling physically, emotionally, financially. There may be some, and we know of some, Kernans and Meshiks, who are dealing with the loss of a family member, the loss of a son, a brother, an uncle. They're in the midst of the day of adversity, even as I speak. And we recognize that we live in a fallen world where we will experience trials and, and tragedy and, and difficulty and suffering and adversity. This is the world that we, we live in. And our tendency is that we are prone, we might be prone to flee any trouble, any conflict, any difficulty that comes our way. And we say, Lord, take it away. Take it away. Lord, get me out of this or that situation. Or we might not even go to the Lord. We would just run. We run to other things to escape or cover up our own pain. We cover up our affliction. So people turn to alcohol or drugs. Or we turn to entertainment. We turn to our TV or our phones. We turn to food. Or we turn to other people that will praise us. And that will make us make it feel better. That will make it better. Or we pretend it's not even there. I'm doing just fine. These are ways that people typically deal with adversity. And this might be our tendency in response to difficult times and suffering and loss that we face on a day-to-day -day basis. And so Ecclesiastes has some very practical things for us and how to deal with difficult circumstances in our lives. And that's what I want to draw your attention to this morning. So we're asking the question, how are we to handle, how are we to deal with adversity? How are we to handle difficult times or difficult situations in our lives? So first, in times of adversity, acknowledge that God knows what is best for us. And ultimately, we are unable to truly know what is best for us. And so we are to accept what God gives us. So look with me now at chapter 6, verses 10 and 12. 
Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? So these three verses set up the second half of this book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon has shown the vanity of life under the sun in the first six chapters. All is vanity. It is futile to seek ultimate meaning and satisfaction from the things of this earth. That's what he's, he's stated. Whether it's education, whether it's pleasure, whether it's work, whether it's riches, whatever it might be, these things don't ultimately bring lasting satisfaction. They do not satisfy our hearts. And now he asks a few questions which introduce the last half of this book. Right? We see those in, in, in verse 12, and we'll unpack these as we go. He's going to unpack these, use these questions to explain and answer them in the rest of the book. And so first, Solomon reflects on our circumstances, and he highlights the day of adversity. And how are we to respond to adversity? Notice what he says in verses 10 and 11. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? What Solomon teaches us here is that it is known what we are. God is the creator. We are the creature. We are weak, and God is strong. God is in control of the events of life, and we are not able to dispute with him. Whatever exists has already been named, and the implications that this is by God and not by us. Right? To name something is to have authority over something or someone. Right? You recall how, how God named the things in creation? How Adam named the animals? And how we, right, we, we do this, we name our children we name our pets. There's a sense of authority. There's a sense of authority. The God here has authority over our lives. We are humans who live a short amount of time on this earth. We pass like a shadow. And we can't contend or dispute with God. And so the more words we use to dispute or argue or or complain to God or others because of our circumstances, the more vanity. It is, it is futile. It is a vapor. Right? Like, like the Israelites in the, in the wilderness who grumbled and complained about their adversity. Do you recall this? Their time in the wilderness. In Numbers 14, here's what they said. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Let us choose a leader to go back to Egypt. So what are they doing? They're, they're doubting God's goodness. Instead of facing their problems head on, instead of trusting God's word, they wanted to run away from their problems. They wanted to flee from the obstacles that were in front of them. They wanted to go back to the way things were. They thought they knew what was best for them. And our tendency is to do the same as well, isn't it? And so here we are to recognize our inability to ultimately know what is good for us and accept and acknowledge what God gives us. 
Why? And why? Notice verse 12. For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? It's implied that we don't, but God does. Here's why. Here's why we don't know what is good for man while we live these short, this short amount of time on earth. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? In other words, we don't know the future. We don't know what tomorrow will bring with 100% certainty, but God does. Therefore, in times of adversity, we need to acknowledge that God knows what is best for us. Do you find yourself in days of difficulty, in times of adversity, in times of adversity disputing or arguing with God over your circumstances? Do you find yourself complaining to others about your circumstances? Let's remember that we ultimately don't know what is best for us. Just as we would say, right, we as parents, we would say, we, to our child, we know what's best for you. How much more God, how much more does God know what is best for his children who knows the future? So like Job, let's accept what he gives us and accept what he takes away from us. Second, second point is this. In times of adversity, recognize the value that adversity is having on us. So observe the good things that can come from adversity. We see this in verses 1 through 12, and in chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. So let's first look at 1 through 6. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. So in these wise sayings by Solomon, he places death, mourning, and sadness in contrast to, to birth, to feasting, to gladness, to laughter, to pleasure. He contrasts the wise and the fool. He contrasts the day of adversity with the day of prosperity. And he shows us the relative value of adversity. And these, I don't know about you, but when I read these, these wise sayings sounds unbelievable. Don't they? It's remarkable. Who, who would say that the day of death is better than the day of birth? Who says that? The wisest man who ever lived, aside from Jesus... How can he say that a funeral is better than a wedding or a party, a Norwex party? How can he say that going to the house of mourning 
is better than to go to the house of feasting. For those of you who are experiencing tragedy, it doesn't feel that way. Now, he's not saying it's fun, right? It's not fun. It's not, that's not what he means by it's better than. So how is adversity better? First, for the believer who has died, it is better, right? They get to be with the Lord. Their day of death is better than their day of birth. Because it means the end of suffering, the end of pain, the end of oppression, the end of seeking satisfaction from the things of this earth. The Apostle Paul, when he was, he was confronted with the reality of death head on, he said to the, the church in Philippi, in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And then he continues, My desire to, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. As believers, dying truly is gain. Because we gain Christ, we get to be with him forever. And that's our hope, that's what we long for and look forward to. And I would call all of you here this morning to truly believe this. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and that by turning away from your sins and turning to Jesus, you will have the best life later. Right? Dying is gain. It is better. But how about for those of us who are still alive? Doesn't seem better, does it? How can he say the day of death is better? How can he say mourning, suffering, sorrow, sadness are better? So here's what he does. He draws us in to a funeral. We become observers of that day as a funeral is about to take place. And notice the end of verse 2. For this is the end of all mankind. And the living, the living will lay it to heart. When you go to the house of mourning, you recognize that this is our end as well. Death will happen to us also. And so you, you take it to heart. You, you contemplate and reflect upon your own life. I've heard of more people coming to faith in Christ when they're going through times of suffering or tragedy or difficulty or even at funerals than I have heard of people coming to Christ at a wedding or a party. You just don't hear it. At funerals, we reflect upon the life of the individual and we take it to heart. We take time to think about our own lives and how short our time really is. Death puts life in its proper perspective because it helps us ponder eternity. So we, we, we take it to heart. We, we internalize it. It causes us to re reflect upon our own lives. It causes us to reflect upon our relationship with the Lord. And there, there's value in this. It causes us to realize how vain it is to pursue ultimate meaning and satisfaction from the things of this earth. Right? Whether it's 
whether it's pleasure, whether it's possessions. It's a good thing. It also, this is what I'm learning, it also motivates us to treasure each day that we have and to see the preciousness and value of life. If you know that your time is short with your kids, you don't have much time with your kids, right? From birth to when they go on to to graduate or however much time you have with your kids. If you know your time with your kids is short, I've heard many older people tell me this, how quickly and how fast our kids grow up. They just grow up so fast. And then before you know it, they graduate. They're off to college or off to their job or they're off to somewhere else, no longer in the house. And here's, here's what the advice that I hear. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Treasure these moments and the days you have with them because it doesn't last forever. And that's what observing adversity and death can have for us. Right? Treasure the moments that you do have. Enjoy the moments that you do have. There's much more I could say about this. I can't say everything about every verse. So what I want you to do now is jump to 7 through 12. So much here. Verse 7 through 12. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. So Solomon still has adversity on his mind. In verse 7, even the wise when facing oppression are tempted to speak and act like a fool in order to escape the suffering or adversity that they're going through at the time. And then in verse 8, Solomon says that better is the end of a thing than its beginning. It's better to be patient than to be proud. Patience enables us to wait for the outcome of something. And in that way, we see how the end is better than the beginning of the matter. And what's fascinating here, I want to I highlight this, what's fascinating here is that there seems to be a link between impatience, pride, and anger. When we are impatient, we are actually revealing pride in our heart. When I'm an impatient driver, What's likely revealed in my heart is selfishness and pride. And then it expresses itself in anger. And so what do we do? We, we get mad. We get, we get mad at the person who's in front of us. They're just driving the speed limit. We want to get by them. We get mad. Don't they know I have to be somewhere? Don't they know I have to do something? What are they doing driving the speed limit? They need to pull over so I can get by them. Then we get angry. Road rage. Or we might see this with our kids. They want something, 
perhaps a piece of candy you know, they just got, perhaps a toy, or, or perhaps yesterday my kid really wants to ride in a combine again. Not yet. Not yet. And then they get angry. Because they think they know what is best for them. They want things on their time and done in their way. Why? Their impatience reveals their pride and selfishness. They know what is best for them. And oh, how often we do this. I notice I do this in conversations. We become impatient. Fascinating. It's fascinating. Our anger can be fueled by our impatience and our pride. We want our will to be done. We want our circumstances to change. And we don't want to wait for the outcome. And then we might be tempted to say, like verse 10, why were the former days better than these? And again, this draws us, draws us to the adversity we might be facing. We, we want the good old days. It was so much better in the past. When things aren't going our way, we, we, experience, we experience adversity and trials. We long for the way things were in the past. And so we try to deal with our problems by, by dwelling on the past. Now, of course, we shouldn't forget the past, right? We learn from the past, but we don't live in the past. Because living in the, in the past keeps us from focusing on today and what the Lord has for us in this moment. Wisdom does not say, why were the former days better than these? Why? Because we don't ultimately know what is better for us. Number one, prosperity, therefore, isn't necessarily what is best for us in this moment. You see? Why were the former days better than these? Because we often think the past was better than it really was. Right? Wow, that was so great. Do you really remember? Do you really remember what it was like? Because, why were they better? And why does wisdom not say this? Because we can't live in the past. The past is the past. And in dwelling on how good we think the past was, it will actually cause us to complain in the present. It will cause us to complain even more about our present circumstances. Oh, how great it was in Louisville. Why weren't the former days better than these, right? Well, then we start thinking it's bad now or something. And it hinders us from being content in this present moment. There's much more I could say. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. And we see here that the value of, of wisdom in light of adversity. Okay, so we see wisdom is protection like the protection of money. Money can protect us and is helpful to have when we go through adversity, when we go through difficulty. So also, wisdom can help us during hard times. Not only does wisdom provide protection, but it also, notice what it says, preserves the life of those who have it. 
Wisdom preserves life. It enables us to rightly navigate through the storms of life. And from the New Testament, we know that those who have wisdom, those who, those who have the wisdom of God, those who have Jesus Christ, who is the true wisdom of God, receive eternal life. So now third and finally, third and finally, in times of adversity, consider that God made the day of prosperity and the day of adversity. Reflect upon the work of God. So look with me now at 13 and 14. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Solomon gives us wisdom on how to deal with adversity with these concluding words. First, we can't fix everything. Right? So in the day of adversity, don't try to fix everything. When things don't go the way we think they should, we need to consider the work of God and what He is doing. And how do we know His work? How do we know what He does? Through His Word. So you want to know what God is like? We study and read our Bible. Because God makes Himself known to us through His Word. We see His work through His Word. And so I want to encourage you, in, in times of difficulty, reflect upon God and His actions in the past. Trust in His grace and His promises in the present. Now, notice verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. This is a reminder that there is a day of prosperity. If this is you right now, if you feel like things are going well for you, find joy. Rejoice in that. Be joyful. It is right for you to have joy in what you do and the things that you are experiencing and going through that are going well for you. When things are going well for you, be thankful to God, right, on how things are going. He is blessing you. As a church, it is right for us to rejoice when we see things going well. As a family, it is right for you to give thanks and find joy for the blessings that you have from the Lord in your day of prosperity. At work, if you get a promotion or if you have a good day, it is right for you to be thankful and have joy in that. There are times in your life when things will go well. Be joyful. And then Solomon says, in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. So how do we deal with adversity? We consider, we reflect, we contemplate, we ponder what the Lord might be teaching us in that moment. We consider that God has made the day of prosperity and the day of adversity. God made both days. So if you're having a good day, rejoice. If you're having a bad day, things are going difficult, reflect. This shows us that we can have good days and bad days. Every day is not better than the last day. We go through times of adversity and times of prosperity. 
Without the wisdom of God, we, we tend to think that if I'm having a bad day, if I'm not experiencing the blessings from the Lord or prospering, then God is against me. That's what we think. He opposes me, or I'm not in his will or doing his will. If I'm going through some sort of trial, then God must be punishing me, or he's abandoned me. That's how we sometimes think. But here's what we learn. God is with you in both days. A perfect example, this is the story of Joseph in Genesis thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, ends up in prison, eventually to a position of power, and God, here's the refrain, and God was with him. He was with him in the day of prosperity and the day of adversity. So a couple of points of application as we close. Don't feel guilty if things are going well for you. There is a day of prosperity. Rejoice in that day and be thankful. But also, don't expect everyone to be in the same season of life. Right? Realize that some people might be going through suffering and tragedy, whether it's a loss of a loved one or, or difficulty in their job or difficulty with their children or difficulty in their finances or difficulty in their marriage. There is a day of adversity. So don't think God is opposed to you if you're going through it. Consider what he might teach you. Also, as you observe those who are suffering, weep with them. Right? Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Those who are suffering or going through tragedy, grieve with them and give them time to grieve and grow in that season. And for all of us, for all of us, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Let's not run from our adversity. Let's not hide from our problems. Let's not cover up or pretend that we don't have any difficulty. But let's acknowledge it. Let's accept it and consider what God would teach us through it. And let's remember that God is for us and he is with us no matter what we face. So let's trust in Jesus today and place our hope in him today. And let's live one day at a time. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we recognize that we go through days of adversity and we are even experiencing some of those now. And so we consider, we reflect upon you and what you're teaching us through it. And we begin to see the value of, of life and the preciousness of life that we have. And I pray that you would help us live for Jesus in the midst of what we're going through, that we would take one day at a time, and that we would seek to honor you and glorify you, and that our hope would be in Jesus Christ every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.